Well, welcome everybody to week three of our series on portraits of Jesus from the book of John. And today we're going to be reading from John chapter three. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You'll hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I wanted to share this week's painted portrait before Rick comes to unpack the story. Now, this painting has not been done by a well-known artist, but I chose it because it demonstrates the way that the story of Jesus transcends all ages and all cultures, as Nicodemus in this painting is portrayed as a Western businessman questioning Jesus. I love the way that these stories that are over 2,000 years old still cut to the very heart of humanity and our need for purpose. In that time, individuals from every culture and people group across the planet have embraced the life-giving message of Christ and have translated it into their cultural context. The Christian religion is the only major world faith that is not tied to a particular cultural context. It is culturally agnostic. Christ's message of love, forgiveness and radical acceptance and inclusiveness is for all peoples. Last year, Rick and I visited the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and one of the most moving parts for us was walking into a a huge room that housed a copy of every Bible of every language group that it has been translated into. There were 3,384 cultural groups that can read the Bible in their own language. The closest book to that number is The Little Prince, which is a French uh, children's book, and that's available in 382 languages. When Jesus said, God so loved the world, he meant it. 
Let's listen as Rick unpacks the word portrait that John paints of Jesus as he encounters Nicodemus. Welcome. Have you ever wondered, what is God really like? Well, at the very beginning of the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul answered that question. He's recorded in the New Testament saying, Christ is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God. Think about that for a moment. Paul is saying, when we know Jesus, we know God. Here, in one verse, we have the key to the Christian faith. It is a journey to become more like Jesus and to make him known. Our faith is always personal to us, but Jesus never wants it to be private. Personal, private holiness is not the goal of the Christian faith. And so to today's portrait. In it, we see Jesus challenging the myth of religion, which says that just being moral and good and knowledgeable is what wins favour with God. We find this portrait recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 3. It's about Jesus' encounter with a religious man called Nicodemus. And remember, in this series, we want to leave with an answer to the question, what do we learn about the nature of God from this story? This is a story rich in meaning, and it is told by John the Apostle in such a way as to highlight several things about God and Jesus, and ultimately about us. First, let's look at Nicodemus. He was a civic leader, a rabbi, like a teacher of teachers a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is the Assembly of High Court Judges. He was a devout and upstanding member of the Pharisees, which is a Jewish religious party that upheld Jewish ritualistic and liturgical worship rules. So in Jewish society in first century Palestine, Nicodemus had impeccable credentials. And yet he comes to Jesus under cover of darkness. It's highly unusual and he portrays his fear of being seen with Jesus, who was considered a threat by Jewish social classes. Even so, Jesus, who is the light of the world, meets him in the darkness. And not just the darkness of the night, but in the same way that Jesus came into the world that didn't know him, he entered into the darkness of Nicodemus' own religious life, that had kept him from seeing God clearly. Having said that, it is noteworthy that Nicodemus shows more humility and open-mindedness towards Jesus than other religious leaders of the day. For he at least realises Jesus is no ordinary rabbi or teacher. He says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So he arrives to question Jesus, yet leaves questioning his own religious beliefs. In this portrait, Nicodemus encounters the challenging Jesus. Now, Nicodemus is an admirable person, successful, talented, 
moral and religious. Yet Jesus effectively says to him, that's great, Nick, but faith is not about the things that you've done. Jesus challenges any sense of religious self-satisfaction Nicodemus may feel in what he has personally achieved by framing the conversation of faith in terms of what only God can do. Jesus is saying, did you work hard to be born into this world? Was it the result of your careful living and skill? No. And just as you didn't contribute anything to your earthly birth, Nicodemus, you can't contribute anything to being spiritually reborn. No moral effort can make you good enough for God. That is, nothing you can do can earn your eternal salvation. It's given only by the grace of God. It's a free gift given to those who seek it. Jesus challenges Nicodemus by saying, faith comes from receiving only that which God can provide. You must be born again. Now, this phrase born again is a culturally loaded term in modern times. It's used by some today as a term of derision, suggesting fanaticism. It's used by others in a patronising way, indicating that Being born again is an emotional crutch that broken and weak people need. Yet Nicodemus is none of these things. So what does Jesus mean by the term born again? For by coining it, Jesus is reframing what it means to have faith in God. He is telling Nicodemus that in God's eyes, all people are equal and all are equally in need of his forgiveness, regardless of their social or religious status. Our problem lies not in who we become, but in who, by nature of our humanity, we are. We are human flesh, born into a sinful world and incapable of saving ourselves from it. And unless we allow God to help us, we remain lost in our sin and so deceived into thinking we are good enough for God. Jesus said, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And when it comes to sin, Nicodemus in a way is like all of us, like you and me. Sin by definition is not primarily what we do, but who or what we look to to make ourselves good enough. In modern times, we try to be self-made, self-sufficient, self-confident, and we try to achieve goodness through doing good things. But this is not the way of true faith. Some people look for the approval of others, what we'd call status. Others look to impose their own will by what we call power or controlling behavior. Still others try to prove themselves by the accumulation of things, using money for that purpose. Nicodemus had many of these too, but his main goal was moral goodness. Like him, we can build up defences to God's goodness by building ourselves up on what we have and what we know and who we know. Author and pastor J.D. Greer says it like this, 
The gospel has done its work in us when we crave God more than we crave everything else in life. More than money, romance, family, health, fame. And when seeing his kingdom advance in the lives of others gives us more joy than anything we could own. And here's something that really helped me understand Jesus and God better as I looked at this portrait. God is not angry at us. Jesus did not get sent as a fall guy to appease God. Jesus' death on a cross didn't change God's mind about us. It confirmed God's mind towards us. Jesus is God. God who came looking for us because he loves us. In the Bible it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether by things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I think John the Apostle frames this portrait and this conversation in order to showcase what perhaps are Jesus' most famous and transforming words. And they are these, you know them, from John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And here's a final piece in the story of Nicodemus that you can read in John 19. Nicodemus, the one who came by night in fear to bury Jesus in questions, comes later by day after the crucifixion with expensive spices to honour Jesus in death. So what do we learn about the nature of God from this portrait of Jesus? God didn't wait for us to be good enough. He came to us and he came for us. And secondly, as Nicodemus discovered, to know Jesus is to know God. And that changes everything.